This is the business of sports. The International Olympic Committee is facing a crisis. Which sport would you point to and say, put your money here? Where the money is flowing inside sports around the globe. Has NASCAR's business engine lost some horsepower? Now I'm paying 5 or 10% what I used to pay to buy the whole team. Michael Barr. Nothing like a cheap hot dog, which is what you should get. Scott Soshnick. How do you put your brand outside of the United States? How do you capture fans around the world? Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we hear from Dominic Foxworth, former president of the National Football League Players Association. He weighs in on the controversy over the national anthem and what's next for the NFL. The future of the game, I think, is something that should scare team owners. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. And let's start the World Series. It was a Game 7. It was great for the World Series, great for the TV and radio audience, because Game 7s are always exciting. Yeah, I thought Fox won the won the World Series. I don't, know, I don't know who the Astros Fox are, but the winner. Fox seemed like the winner to me. Uh, we talked before the series even started about how the most important thing for Fox is to go seven games. Then the next most important thing is to have two big teams and big media markets. Then the next most important thing is to have a compelling series. Uh, they hit the trifecta. They got all three. Huge media markets, awesome series, seven games. Let, let's use the baseball analogy. They didn't quite get the grand slam because game seven was a stinker from the start. Yes, sir. And right. you could just, that noise you heard was like all those LA TVs going click. <laughs> we don't need to see how this one ends. But if you had told the executives going in, you're going to get seven games, they'd sign up for it, plenty of ad dollars, a resurgence for baseball, and that people were talking about the game, they were talking about these teams, classic game five, classic game two, young stars in Correa and Altuve that people will now know, uh, that's a win for everybody involved in the sport. By the way, did you hear about this guy? He is called the... Mattress Mac. His name is Jim Mackingvale. He owns Gallery Furniture. And he told ESPN he'll be giving back more than $10 million in purchases made from when he announced in May that he would rebate fans who spent more than $3,000 on mattresses and beds if the team won it all. And kudos to Mattress Mac as everybody talks about uplifting the city of Houston in the wake of the hurricane. Mattress Mac opened his doors to displace families and said, come sleep on all the beds and couches that I got in my showroom. So good for him. Next story. This one is a little more serious about Papa John's. They're saying that the NFL problems are hurting their pizza sales. I'm going to let Eben take this one because I think Eben has a little glimpse into Papa John's sales before all this controversy started with national, national anthem protests. Yeah. If you look at Papa John's sales numbers, uh, they're not great, and they, they weren't great long before this protest thing became a huge deal for the NFL. Uh, so for him to come out and, and, and publicly tout the NFL as the reason why sales are dropping, there's something a little bit disingenuous to that. I mean, their quarter three, third quarter ended the day that Donald Trump criticized the NFL. Clearly yeah, something was wrong before that. doesn't make sense. Sure. But the bigger thing, I think, here is that there is now a major NFL sponsor that is willing to hop on a, a conference call and trash both owners and the commissioner and blame them uh, for slips in his business. He is, if you look at the political leanings and donations, he is a Donald Trump supporter, both with his emotion and his dollars. So at least should be noted. But... 
Yes, a sponsor that will willingly, openly, publicly point his finger at Roger Goodell and say this is a lack of leadership. And by the way, took the NFL logo off of his commercials and advertisement because he doesn't wish to be associated with the NFL right now. That says something. And you bet Jerry Jones and the other owners are concerned. And the NFL has 30-something partners. Some of them are companies you've probably never even heard of. And then there are companies like Papa John's that are at the forefront of their advertising. If you go to the Super Bowl every year, he's everywhere. When Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl two years ago, he kissed Papa John before he kissed his wife. You know, Papa John is everywhere when it comes to the NFL. This is one that hurts. Do we need to say full disclosure, Eben, in the media center, Papa John's every now and then comes around with free pizza? I may or may not have partaken in a slice after a long day of work at the Super Bowl. Just full disclosure. And another topic that's in the business of sports, your chance to join Shaquille O'Neal as part owner of the NBA's Kings. What's impressive here, Michael, is the franchise values are so high now that if you want a 10% stake of the Sacramento Kings, which is what's being offered by one of the limited partners, we're not sure which one, and we know it's not Vivek Ranadiv, but if you want a 10% stake of the Sacramento Kings, you have to pony up at least, ready for this, $100 million. At least, probably more. Probably gets a board seat, so you probably get some say for that kind of money, but... Gone are the days where people just wanted to say they had a slice of a team, so they put in some cash. This is real money for a 10% stake. Look, we've talked about this before. I just don't understand why this is a valuable... If there's no path to, to long-term full ownership, uh, like we saw with the Nets la- last week, if that isn't included in this, and I don't believe it is, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, I just don't understand why someone is willing to spend $100 million on a property, even if you get a board seat. This could be... This Now, guesswork. We'll see who's going to buy. But this could be somebody looking to add something to a real estate portfolio because this is not only the Golden One Center, which is driving revenue, but they own a hotel. They own parts of downtown now. So if you believe in a revitalized downtown Sacramento, 10% of this team gets you a portfolio of properties in downtown Sacramento. It's a big real estate play if somebody wants it. Now let's get to this week's interview with former president of the National Football League Players Association, Dominique Foxworth. He played for the Denver Broncos, Atlanta Falcons, and Baltimore Ravens from 2005 to 2011. While an active player, he served as president of the NFLPA during labor talks with the owners. Dom, tell me, on the macro level, so 30,000 feet here, where is the league compared to the other entertainment and sports properties? Well, I mean, it's still the most profitable American sports league that we have, so I think that's a thing to be proud of for them but there's also i mean the future of the game i think is something that should scare team owners because not only do you have to be concerned about like a pipeline for players because of the fear of head injuries but i think football relative to all the other american sports it's like a weird game and i think part of the reason why people love it is because they learn about it by playing it or having friends and family that play it when they're kids and i know it's not something that uh necessarily on the tip of people's tongue but uh when i when i went to business school that was one of the things there's like a bunch of international people there and uh a lot of them it was kind of first time that i realized how weird football was (laughs) because they were asking me to explain football and i couldn't be like well you know it's just like this game or it's just like that game it is a unique unique game and i think that is something to be concerned of going forward if there's less participation that could certainly translate to less fans going forward but i think the football is on uh 
solid ground, at least for the immediate future. Don't be modest. You mean to say when you went to Harvard Business School. I knew you meant to say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like to, to brag as much as possible. I wasn't being modest. I'm a cornerback. I just, just <laughs> Yeah, look at me. Look at me. I but, can shut you down. But, uh, but I, I appreciate you sharing that. Sadly, uh, I am... Uh, hanging out in the media with a bunch of other people who didn't go to fancy business. The really, really smart people. <laughs> let let uh, me ask you this, Dom. What did you learn from your time as president of the Players Association, sitting across owners? Did you learn anything hmm. about yourself and other players and, and their acumen versus yours? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's that was the impetus for me applying to a top-level business school. Like I had always had in my mind that I, I wanted to get some sort of postgraduate degree, but I didn't think that Harvard Business School was the place <laughs> for me. And then I sat in those rooms and uh, participated in negotiations and was like, hey, these guys, I mean, not, not to to be disrespectful or anything, but they were, they were about as smart or not as smart around the same intelli- uh, intelligence level as me and many of my teammates. It's just I think you go into there uh, growing up, you think that anyone who's been able to make that amount of money or have certain level of success is a genius. But, no, I mean, they, they worked hard. I'll give them that. And they had some fortuitous things happen in their lives. They took advantage of opportunities. They got lucky, and that's what got them there. It's not because they have any um, superior inter- intellect. So I, that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me, and I, I hope it's done the same for other players who have been involved in similar processes. Well, do you wonder now, has it changed at all, or do you still think the prevailing sentiment among most players would be, HBS is not a place for me? Uh, I'm not as smart as the owner. How could I be? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably um, the prevailing sentiment for not just players, but just most people. I think in general that's something that we are afflicted with, frankly, in this society is just like this deification of people who've made a certain amount of money or people. And it's not even just uh, business people. It's also athletes and because we're always so shocked when something comes like the Tiger Woods thing, uh, when he uh, got in trouble for stepping out on his wife and whenever there's any player or public figure who does something that we deem to be uh inappropriate we're always so shocked and appalled it's like we deify these people because they are really good at a particular thing or they happen to make a lot of money like that those things uh i think are sometimes more loosely correlated than we choose to to believe like the intelligence and success and and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I, it's a surprising thing, but time and time again, we associate uh, intelligence with how much money someone's been able to make, which I think is a mistake. We are chatting with Dominic Foxworth, former president of the NFL Players Association, played in the league from 2005 to 2011. And Dom, what is the relationship, or was the relationship, or has it changed between owners and players? Is that a team-by-team thing, or do owners prefer for the most part to keep an arm's length from guys they may have to cut right yeah i mean i think it's definitely a team by team thing but i think the overall perspective and relationship is i I think this kind of brings us to uh the mcnair comments recently i think that the owners don't necessarily in general think about maybe they have relationships and respect for individual players but as a group i don't think the owners necessarily have a lot of respect for the players and in the league office is the same way and we can look at a lot of recent events like i mentioned mcnair's comments where he analogized players to inmates running the prison and you can go all the way back to tech shram's comments in in the eighties i think it was eighty seven where he called the players cattle you can look at um, the way goodell has handled uh... 
star caps and bounty gate and and how the league colluded to suppress wages like it's just uh disrespect after disrespect and it feels to me like they don't view the players as partners uh to this game and they don't view the players as someone that or group that should be consulted on major decisions or or respected frankly when uh they are making decisions and uh that's unfortunate but i do think that one of the kind of results of the recent uh, spate of protests from last year to this year, or I guess demonstrations, because not every um, anthem demonstration is uh, a protest, but it's kind of, in my mind, kind of opened the player's eyes to how much power they have as a collective unit. No individual player, frankly, has that much power, but as a unit, they are the game, and if they were ever to kind of fully I say they like I was not a part of it I guess we is appropriate but if we were ever as players no I'll go back to they because it's current players if they were ever to kind of um, fully galvanize and appreciate uh, how powerful they can be I I think they could accomplish more than they probably imagine they could as far as changing the game in any way they want to see it changed but that would take some serious planning would it not let's look forward to the next collective bargaining you had better have some paychecks saved you had better be able to withstand some time without income if you're really talking about big time changes that the owners we can guess would forcibly oppose there's not only one way i guess to go about it so i think that it's very true it would take some some uh serious planning to to prepare and execute some sort of work stoppage for players, and it'd be very difficult. Obviously, the money and and uh, the time horizon, all those things fall on the owner's side. But like I mentioned, the the recent demonstrations have shown that the that the players can have impact in more ways than one. And I think at this point, while they aren't in negotiations, I'm quite sure that um, Roger Goodell and the owners would be willing to. Uh, to uh, negotiate over getting the players to stop doing what they're doing now. When it comes to the issue of standing for the anthem, I cannot remember a time when the players had this much leverage on a single issue. The collective bargaining agreement does not mandate that players stand. So for an owner to come out and say, you have to do it, if the NFL wants to change this rule, it requires union cooperation, no? Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's the point that I, I was trying to make is that I hadn't thought about it this way in the past, but the players do have leverage and they do have ways to create leverage that don't all necessarily uh, involve uh, extended work stoppage. So if they can if they can um, endure a work stoppage, obviously they can uh, kind of create whatever CBA that they that they wish. But there are other ways, I guess, to to um, create leverage. And they've certainly created some now, uh, inadvertently or not. Looking in from the outside, how would you assess the NFL's house? And I mean the commissioner, the owners. It doesn't seem as if everybody's on the same page, not only on this issue, but other issues as well. It seems that they might be ripe for some infighting here. Yeah, uh, and I think that it's only now that we, we might be able to see it from the outside, but I think we could all imagine how much infighting must go on with the amount of perceived egos that uh, a bunch of really successful men would have and everyone in 
every team owner is a leader in his own right and a successful business person. And then you throw the executives of the NFL, including Roger Goodell in there, who have all been high achievers throughout life and been leaders and decision makers. And you throw them in a room and expect them, and they all have differing interests and desires, and you expect them to agree. Like, there's always infighting. I think this is the one of the few times that it that the cracks are showing above the surface. I don't necessarily mean think that that means that the cracks are any deeper than they have been in the past. But there have always been infights and being um, really close to the game, uh, I would hear those stories and understand about them trying to build coalitions and, and boxing out particular owners and and those sorts of things. So it's it's politics, frankly. I think it's the best way to describe, uh, it's the best analogy to what happens in the league office and amongst NFL owners. Is It's a lot like what happens in... In American politics, is everyone's looking for uh, looking. Everyone wants to look good to the public, and everyone is looking for partners because that's the only way you have any power is if you can get votes behind the initiative that you want to enact. Dom, you brought up the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. Seems as if his extension, his contract extension, seems to be a point of contention. You sat in those meetings with Roger. How do you assess? Roger, as a leader of ideas, a leader of men, a leader of agendas, how would you assess his performance? Yeah, I mean, it's he seems very different from, I guess it was 2010, 11, and 12, like around that time when I was spending the most amount of time around him, and it was his first um, CBA negotiations. Uh, and he clearly... Uh, was looking to please specific conti- uh, constituents in the ownership group, and he very clearly seemed to me to be um, somewhat powerless. And I think you could go through a lot of the decisions that he's made from then to now and point out other instances where it seems like he is just the arm for a particular group of owners. But recently it kind of feels like he is trying to spread his wings and become more of a leader and more of a, I guess David Stern might be the the best example of a commissioner who kind of controls rather than the other way around. And it seems that that's not sitting well with some of the owners, which is interesting. Yeah, I had spoken to Mickey Arison, the chairman of Carnival Cruise Lines. He owned the Miami Heat or owns the Miami Heat. He once told me, I know the perception of the reality is that the commissioner works for us, but he said, make no mistake. You know, nobody, nobody tells David Stern what to do. And are you referencing the Tom Brady punishment, the Ezekiel Elliott punishment? Because it would seem that Roger Goodell would not want to get on the wrong side of Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones. Those are two very influential owners in that group. Yeah, that I mean, you could, not being on the inside, you could paint those in a couple different ways. And I think it's, it's obvious that he doesn't want to get on the wrong side of them. So him being willing to do that, and those were a couple of his biggest supporters from day one and through the rough times that he's had. So it seems that he is kind of um, stepping out on his own. But you could also potentially make the argument that it, that there's another constituent that he is looking to please at this point. So like without being on the inside, it's hard for me to tell. But these are moves that I could not have imagined the Roger Goodell that I knew um, from uh, – like 2010 time, I couldn't imagine him taking these type of moves unilaterally without kind of consulting with uh, with um, Jones and Kraft and getting their approval. It seems like he's he's taking he's trying at least to take some control of the league, and we'll see what happens going forward. Who the rest of the owners get behind? Papa John has come out and said 
that the NFL and the protests are hurting his business. He said the leadership has not been good and that they need to do something because I'm not selling enough pizza because people aren't watching as much NFL football. There are certain things that just kind of supersede uh, revenue and um, asset value and all those things. And if that's what is important to him, those are things that, that are kind of the ways he'll be he'll measure his life, then that's fine. I just don't care to 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 follow him follow him down that road. Like I'm not trying to sound like some super high high horse kind of uh, moralist, but I think we all kind of have a line, and I, I, I'm not saying that he doesn't. I'm sure he has a line at some point where he wouldn't cross that line for any amount of money. Like I like to think we all have that point. Um, and I, and that's possibly why I would, despite going into business school, like I could never be probably a CEO of that type of company because if anyone were to ask me to kind of take a position that I felt to be uh, on questionable, questionable moral ground, I like to think that I would not be able to do, do that and, and I'd, I'd have to move on from that position. What are your thoughts from the knee-jerk reaction that television ratings are down for much of the NFL, not all windows, but for much of the right. NFL, because of Kaepernick, because of protest, it, it seems the data says people are just watching less football. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that's. Uh, I've talked to a few friends about it, and and um, well, friends who like are better with data than me, and that they came to the same conclusion and pointed me in that direction. That it doesn't mean that ratings overall are down. It just means that people are watching less football, which leads you to the to the conclusion that uh, maybe these games are not as good or engaging. Like, if you are not watching football at all because you were angry, then you wouldn't turn the game on. But if you turn the game on and then you turn the channel or go do something else, like maybe it's just millennials don't have a long attention span, maybe your games are boring, I don't know, maybe it's Maybe there's too much football on. That was one thought by some television executives that it's oversaturated. You have Thursday night, you have Sunday, you have Monday. You can can miss them. Right, yeah. So there's... uh, uh, it would seem to me that the evidence suggests that one of those are more likely than a boycott, because a boycott, then no one would tune in. Not they would just, because that's a weird boycott to say, like, uh, I'm mad because these demonstrations, I'm going to watch 30 minutes of football this week rather than an hour. That'll just, the, just the third and fourth quarters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so put your analyst hat on for me, then. If I'm looking ahead, and I am a prospective NFL owner, I'm thinking about buying a team, what am I concerned about most? Is it ratings? Is it sponsorship? Is it millennials? It, it, it used to be thought of that the, an NFL team was a license to print money. You said it's doing well. Is it still a license to print money, or are those storm clouds real? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to consider the storm, storm clouds being real. I don't think that... Um, uh, if I were looking to buy a professional sports team, I'm not sure that the NFL is where I would go, in part because it's not an international game, and you could argue that it is extremely oversaturated in, in this country. So the, any potential growth would have to come from international expansion, and that seems to be uh, a long shot. And while you have to create international expan- expansion, you have to sustain your kind of domestic product, which uh, we've all talked about how um, – Parents are having their, their kids play less, which could mean, like, lesser talent on the field. It could also mean 
fewer kids develop a love for the game when they're young and are engaged in it. Like, all that stuff could be true, and maybe people will stop, a lot of people will stop playing as kids, but they'll still love it because they watch it with their parents while they're kids now and still fall in love with it. Love with it. But I think the, the scariest part for guys who might want to own an NFL team is that the growth and the, the value of the total asset of the team that you purchase, like, that might be hard to continue to grow and to protect going forward because, like I said, it's based on international expansion. And, and if you've ever been um, just about anywhere in, in the world other than America and you talk about football, first you have to say American football so they don't think you're talking about what we can consider soccer, but they can't name any players. They don't know anything about the game. They don't care about it. They're, they aren't playing in leagues. Like That's, that's a, a major ask to kind of um, – propose that you're going to convince um, all kids all throughout Europe and in, in, um, in Asia and in Africa that they need to care about professional football. Not, not only care about it, but love it. Like that's the, the, the major, I guess, hope is that the tech companies are going to come in and, and pay even more than the TV companies pay now to, uh, for rights fees because I don't think that the TV companies can continue to pay more and more. So uh, Amazon, Google, Twitter, right, yeah. I mean, they're coming. Is that the savior? Is sports betting the savior? Because that'll all drive engagement. Uh, it, you're talking about scalable media with, with the tech companies. You're talking about second screen experience as well as, as sports betting. Uh, that could be somewhat of a saving grace here. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I certainly wouldn't say it was dire. If someone wanted to give me an NFL team, I would not reject them. If I could find one on the sale bin, I would still buy it. <laughs> but if I had 2 or $3 billion and I wanted to invest it in something, I'm not sure I would buy an NFL team right now. Would that mean you'd agree with Joe Sy and perhaps $2.3 billion valuation for the Brooklyn Nets, who, by the way, are losing money? But a long-term play, a long-term play in Asia, long-term play in scalable yeah. media, is a better bet? Oh, absolutely. Like, um, I think if I could buy a team, I would buy a basketball team. I think the, there is still growth potential domestically, and there is a, at least from what I understand, there's a huge hunger for basketball-related content in, um, in China, which is probably has the, the brightest future as far as uh, a nation's um, economic growth, so there are more and more people moving into the middle class, and they already know basketball. They already love basketball. It's an international game. Like that's that's where I would be looking to to purchase a team. And I like basketball, and I don't I also don't have to like carry around the guilt of potential of uh, of causing or being uh, complicit in causing CTE in players. <laughs> like it seems like basketball would be the place to go if I were to buy a team. But I guess. Um, not, I guess. I don't have, in case you were wondering. I don't have a, a few billion. Dollars. You don't have a few billion, but you know, maybe that limited, limited, limited partnership would be appealing to you. <laughs> yeah, if I, if I had, uh, if someone wanted to, to give me like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of a, of a professional or professional team, I'd go for basketball. Would some of this be cleared up, or would it, would it be smoother sailing with more minority representation in ownership? or in the top, top, top levels of teams? Um, I think that not the, not the, like, the business concerns that I mentioned, but I do think like, uh, a lot of the uh, social issues that they've come to, like, just not necessarily – there's lots of research behind how having diverse thinkers in a room helps and people from different perspectives. Um, 
I'm not going to venture to to say that I know all of the owners' backgrounds, but uh, they're very. It, it would appear that they are very similar, and they think very similarly in many cases. So I think having some uh, diversity of thought is is really important, and obviously that means like diversity across um, race and gender and age and life experience, like that. All that stuff matters, and it improves. Uh, I hate to use football analogies or sports analogies, but they're so great sometimes. But it's like if you were trying to build a team, you wouldn't just fill it up with great offensive linemen. Like if you could get the 11 best offensive linemen in the history of the world, you put them all on one team and try to run an offense, they'd still be terrible. Like you need some other people who have other skills, and it doesn't seem that, that that's the way that they build their ownership group groups. All right, Dominic Foxworth, the former president of the NFL Players Association, thank you very much for taking a few minutes. No problem, man. Always good to talk to you. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the world of business of sports. And you can always catch us online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. I'm Scott Soschnick, and this is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.